Good to see you. Good to see you. Testing, testing. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And uh, if you could go ahead and turn there, we're going to start in the first verse. Uh, I just wanted to kind of, before we get started officially, isn't that a cool, I don't know if you can really see the clarity of that picture, but uh, Marshall Adams, who's one of our elders, oh, at least two or three times a week, he works out in the, in the hills and he'll send me a picture and say, this is where I'm praying for you and the church family today. And he sent me this picture and he, he said, as I'm praying, I'm just, I'm envisioning that God is going to break through in the life of our, our people and the church as it's breaking through the clouds here. And it's a pretty, pretty neat picture. So I thought, oh, I'll use that today for our, our background. But that's, that's um, one thing. The other thing is next week, Bill mentioned the potluck. I still feel kind of tinny, tinny, um, Eric. So uh, anyway, so the potluck next week, just so you know, please, I would like it if everyone is there because it's going to be an awesome, awesome time, baptisms, barbecue, um, and a great park-like setting, but it's pretty close. That's Stephen Deidre. They're down in, they're on their way back from San Diego, but this is us down here. And so as you can see, it's five minutes, 1.7 miles. Most of you who are locals to this area know Elliott Road. That's Elliott Road right there. Um, so you just basically pop up, shoot past the, the trading post, the post office. There is our church property that, Lord willing, we're going to build on in the, in the coming years. Um, this is the ball field. You, you curve down this direction. This is it's an empty lot there, but this is now where the new old apostolic church is. And so once you pass there, you get to Elliott Road. You'll see Elliott Road. And then the first turn on the right, which is a gravel road, comes down here. And there is their log cabin in the woods. And it's right on Cedar Creek. There's an awesome natural swimming hole slash baptism pool slash park-like setting. Uh, it's close. Uh, it's perfect. So um, anyway, that's just so you know where that's at. We'll show that again next week. But we want to make sure everybody knows how to get there so nobody feels left out or, or lost in getting there. So anyway, that'll be next week. That'll be an awesome time. Uh, let's pray as we launch into God's Word. Heavenly Father, um, again, we just, I think of the, the folks that are up at um, the camp out, we pray for them. Um, Lord, we, I, I actually know that right now, they're probably, Mr. Mike Shabo is, I'm sure, pulling people around in inner tubes too fast. So we just would pray that they would have a safe and fun, fun day of fellowship. Thank you for the time of, of worship last night that we had around the campfire. And, and, uh, and now we just pray for this time, uh, for everyone that is here, Lord, I just, we come with all kinds of different reasons and motivations, and yet um, you bring us here. It's by your design that we're here to be together, and uh, we pray that your word would speak to us, that uh, it would have the authority in our lives that it should have, which is supreme authority. And uh, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever ran into, well, I know, actually, I do know. Um, this is just kind of human nature. It's a human nature to try to find your way around rules and laws that you don't like. Um, kids are a little bit more obvious about it when they try to skirt around or find loopholes in the rules of the household. But adults, we get a little bit more, we get a little bit more creative on ways that we can find loopholes, find ways around the rules and the law. There's this guy named David Phillips. He is a civil engineer, uh, lives down in California. He's a self-proclaimed math geek. And uh, he noticed uh, as he was eating his TV dinner, healthy choice TV dinner, that there was a promotion on there that said that um, if you pulled off, for every 10 barcodes that you pulled off the food, uh, you would get 1,000 frequent, frequent flyer miles um, in return. 
And, and so being the math geek that he did, he did some calculations and he realized that a, a thousand miles had way more value than some of the cheaper healthy choice products. So he jumped in his van and he went around, I didn't tell the timeline, but he went around over a short period of time and purchased 12,150 cups of pudding, healthy choice pudding. And um, obviously healthy choice didn't anticipate this person trying to um, bend their, their, their contest rules. Um, but they ended up forking over to David Phillips and his family 1.25 million air miles. Um, back, this is back... Um, back in 1999. Now, uh, the, the great thing about the story is on top of that, he went to the Salvation Army because he's not going to eat 12,150 cups of pudding. So he goes to the Salvation Army and says, hey, if I donate this pudding to you, would you pull off the, stick, the tabs for us? And so the Salvation Army pulled off 12,150 tabs gave him an $800 tax credit for donating all of the pudding to him. I mean, it was, it was quite, a way to, to, quite a way to get around it. He flew, he, he said he and his family flew free for 10 years um, um, on all their vacations and things because of him finding that loophole in that rule. Now, um, that's a little bit more of a just kind of a funny, smiley story. But very often when it comes to finding, um, finding loopholes, it happens all of the time. And I think probably even more than we realize it in our relationship with God, and specifically as we come to God's Word. We come to His Word, and we can see something in His Word or read something in His Word, and maybe we're not looking for the loophole like David Phelps was looking for this, this benefit in, in, his, his exam, in this example we just gave. But we look for ways to see how certain things may or may not apply to our particular situation, and so we, we, find, ways, we find ways to try to get around God's law. And that's what's happening today in our passage as we watch uh, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and if you've been around church m- much of your life, you know that you say Pharisee, you say scribe, and it's immediately like you get this picture of a devilish figure in your mind. They're normally bad people. But when I look at a lot of the things that they do, I think, man, how, how different am I in some of the ways that I approach my faith and my walk with the Lord? And, and so um, we're going to look here and see what they do to kind of find some loopholes in God's law this morning. Now, to give you a quick context where we've been, Dr. Bob last week preached on the miraculous walk on the water, and he he shared how Jesus went out onto the lake and and rescued, uh, rescued or helped his disciples. And I'm sorry, Eric, I'm just, I'm getting reverb and feedback, and my ADD brain can't have those extra conversations going on. Um, So if you can work that out, that'd be good. But Jesus is, is three and a half he has a three-and-a-half-year ministry. This is about halfway in his ministry when he has this time where he, he walks on the water. And, and the, the verse that Dr. Bob focused on was verse 52, and it said in verse 52, that's great, Eric, thank you. Um, in verse 52, how um, as he walked towards the boat, uh, the disciples, they had not been impacted by seeing the miracle of him feeding the 5,000 or the 25,000. And it says that that scary line, that their hearts were hard. And he challenged us last week to, to, to look at our own lives, look at our own hearts and see, are our hearts hard? Are our hearts hard towards the Lord? And um, I, I was struck as, as I sat and listened to that, that, you know, here's the disciples of Jesus. They followed him around for who knows how long at this point in time, months, years. They just that day saw Jesus take five biscuits and two sardines and multiply them enough to feed 25,000 people. 
And our text says here that, that they had hard hearts after just experiencing that. And I think, man, how, how possible or how easy or how susceptible are we today um, to having our hearts hardened by this world that, that treats us like garbage or not just because of our faith, but just because of the values of this world in general. How, how easy it is for our hearts to be hard and, and how susceptible we might be to that. And so this kind of launches into this section uh, where Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the heart um, and, and specifically the way that religion can damage the heart or help harden the heart. So now let's look at our passage. We're, we're in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. I'll put it up here um, for those of you who don't have your Bibles with you. If you have your Bibles, follow along. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, they asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but instead they eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites? As, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines and commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if I if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Many such things you do. Okay, so as we look at this passage today, we're going to, you see, kind of, if you have a notes page, you'll see on the back of your bulletin, there's a kind of a fill in the blank. And kind of the heading there is, beware of religious people because we, 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 see, some, we see some things that come out, some of the fruit of being overly religious, religious in the, the irreligious sense or in the Pharisee ascribed sense. And, and, and first off, if we go back up to verse 1, it says, um, beware of religious people because they play, they play politics. Now, verse 1 says, when the Pharisees gathered to him, they've come to Jesus. Jesus has just done some miraculous thing. He's just fed 25,000 people. And instead of saying, wow, that was, that was awesome. You, you really loved and cared for those people. You, you preached the good news to them. You healed them. You fed them. It says the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. This is what I love about studying the Bible is that you can oftentimes just rebuy something that seems insignificant like that. But what these religious people had done was they're posturing themselves, they're preparing themselves to get rid of this hindrance to their oppressive religious system. And that, that hindrance is Jesus. They want him out of here because he is directly coming in, in conflict with and getting in the way of their their stronghold over the people's lives and so they come and it says they they who had come from jerusalem now there were fi scribes fribes and squaracies how's that 
That's, that's the new term. There are scribes and Pharisees who, uh, my, just so you know, I went intertubing yesterday, and I'm pretty sure that both of my shoulders are slightly out of socket because uh, of the way that my, the mic jerked me around on that intertube. So if my arms just fall off on stage, that will just keep going. But, but the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, they had this way, of, they had this way of, of posturing themselves, playing this political game. And in this case, they basically called in the big guns. If you were creme de la creme, if you were the best of the, best of the religious people, you had a position in Jerusalem. And so this just shows the attention that Jesus was getting and the disruption he was causing to the religious system, the Judaistic system of that day. And so they called these guys from Jerusalem to, to come down here to be, to be the thugs, to be the bullies, to, to support them. And uh, they're, they're, they're really, they're more interested in just playing political games. Um, they, would much rather, they would much rather discredit and get Christ out of the picture as soon as possible. Um, and this is one of the problems with those, those people, and this is a problem today oftentimes too. People today, as, as is people back then, they worship the right God in the wrong way. They worship the right God in the wrong way. These, these guys had seen the workings of God all throughout their history, but they had exchanged a loving, beautiful relationship with God. The way that God designed them to be with himself, they'd exchanged that for this, this code of, of obligations, of rules, and of laws. And God never designed humanity to be in that kind of a system. If we look back to the garden, there's one of my favorite authors says that we, we were designed really to be, and he doesn't mean this in a crude way, we were designed to be naked gardeners. We were designed to be in the garden with God and there was no shame, no guilt. And I can't even imagine being a naked gardener. Ugh. Let's just move on from that. Um, but, but that's what they were designed. And, and it's because we live in a world that's coated with shame and guilt and oppression and lack of forgiveness and lack of grace and lack of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but the, the system that God set up back in the Garden of Eden was one where we would have loving relationship with him and with one another. And these guys, these religious guys, came and overlaid their, their um, dead heart religion on the people. I'm so thankful for this church family um, because I just don't see this. I don't, you know, I, I've, I've been in a lot of different churches and I've seen political games that take place in churches. And I'm just glad I don't see that here. And, um, and I also know that, I also know that uh, we always have to be careful to fight for unity as a church, especially as we grow as a church. And you being here is, is evidence of, of that. On, on a day, we normally cancel church on this day because there's no one that shows up. But we thought, the elders got together, we thought, well... You know, we, if even one person walks in the door and they hear the good news of Christ and there's only one, that's worth it. It's worth it. And, and as we grow as a church, as we move towards a building program and those kind of things, you better believe we're going to fight to not fight over carpet colors and paint colors and floor plans and things like that. Uh, those, those are just things that God hopefully will, will work out those details because what really matters is the purpose that he's called us to in this church and in this town. He's called us to reach with his gospel, those here in our area that are far from him, but close to us. And that's our goal. That's what we're going to fight for. And I'm, thank, I'm just thankful for, for all of you in, in that way. So um, we'll move on here. Secondly, beware of religious people, religious systems, because secondly, they have critical spirits. They have critical spirits. Verse 2, it says this. It says, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, they were un 
washed. And I just, I want to say, just, just for the record, um, I'm bothered by folks that don't use the, rest, the sinks and restrooms. When you go to a restroom and someone is going to be in the same restaurant as me, I just, I don't know if it's just the way I was raised, but the sink's there for a purpose. We, we've got the, the, the civil structures and utilities. Let's use the sinks. Let's wash our hands. That's a good thing. Um, but that's not what's happening here specifically. Um, the Pharisees and the scribes aren't saying, oh, I can't believe you didn't wash your hands. What they're saying, they're not, they're not at all concerned with hygiene. They're concerned with them not following the law, them not following the, the, the law that they have come up with. Um, there are, it's pretty interesting, we'll talk about this when we get to point three a little bit more, but, but when, you, when you look at the Old Testament system, there was the law that came down from God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it was written down on the tablets. But then in the Jewish system, there was also what, what they believed was this oral tradition and oral law that they would pass down from the elders of one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And you can imagine what would happen as they passed these laws down from one generation to the next for hundreds and thousands of years. A lot of, a lot of pretty crazy things would come up with. And if you remember when we just read, Back there a little bit earlier, it talked about washing copper pots and pans and those kinds of things. In the Mishnah, which is the Jewish book that people recorded, um, they, they sat down finally and said, we, we need to record these oral laws so we don't forget them. They came up with 23 individual chapters in the Mishnah. They wrote 23 chapters just on how to wash your hands, wash pots and pans, do the dishes. Now, I said... I, I have a hard enough time doing the dishes as they are with the system that might, but 23 chapters of rules to do it just right. And those are the type of traditions that are going on here that the Pharisees and the scribe, they look at Jesus' disciples, they look at them specifically with a critical spirit, a critical eye, and they start to attack them and go after them. They saw, and I don't know if you have people in your life that are like this, that they just always seem to see. You do anything, even if it's well, we all make mistakes. Every one of us makes mistakes, some bigger than others, but we all make mistakes, and there's always seems to be those people when you turn around, they're watching you. They're looking over your shoulder. I, had a, I worked with a guy named Denny, Dennis, and um, Dennis, I ended up loving Dennis. He ended up coming to my, my, my wedding, but I did not like Dennis for a lot of years because every time I did anything, he was there to laugh at me and make fun of me and point out how wrong I had done something, and he just... And I wanted to point out, he spelt his name wrong on his hard hat when he wrote it on the, across the top, but I never said that to him. But there's just those people in our lives that tend to point out the things that are, that are, that are wrong. And, and as I look at this, uh, I want to look um, at four different types of critical spirits that we see in the Bible, four different critical spirits. And as I'm going through these, I just want to ask you, just in your own mind, your own heart, your own spirit, to to see if maybe one of these four, if you have a, a tendency or a trending towards one of these four areas of a critical spirit. And, uh, and uh, so let, let's, go through, let's go through the four that we see. Uh, one of the types of critical spirits that we see, and we saw these in the, the scribes and the Pharisees, but one is that of being a gossiper. A gossiper. Um, this is a person who shares secrets and privileges of other people with, with other folks that or behind their back. So really what gossipers attempt to do is they attempt to make themselves feel better about their own insecurities by appearing the source of all knowledge and all wisdom to someone to someone else. And uh, scripture speaks out so clearly to this. This is Pastor Paul talking to young Pastor Timothy. 
encouraging him how to pastor a congregation and he knows that this kind of stuff comes up in church life and so he says they learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely die not merely idle but also gossips and busybodies taking about talking about these things um, not proper to mention now i don't know have you ever seen the show uh um little house on the prairie i don't know if you've seen that show we grew up on it but Mrs. Olson, the busybody, that's what I think of when I think of this port, port of being a gossiper and a busybody. Anyway, um, also it says in Proverbs twenty nineteen, he who goes about as a slander reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip, Proverbs twenty nineteen, which it brings up slander there. That's actually our second form of a critical spirit is a slander. This is a person who makes false statements in order to damage another person's, another person's reputation. Uh, Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse man spreads strife, and a slander separates intimate friends. James 4, 11, Brothers, sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but, but sitting in judgment on it. Yeah, destructive, destructive stuff. Gossiping, slander. Thirdly, Thirdly, judgmental, judgmental folk. Uh, a judgmental person has an excessively critical point of view. The thing about a judgmental person uh, is that they, they, they have the ability to believe, the ability to believe that they know the motivation of another person. Doesn't that just drive you crazy? Someone's, someone's saying something, judging you, and they have no idea. They have no idea what, anything about your life, anything about your history, anything about your current context, uh, to make a decision, but they think they know, and they think they know your your motives. Judgmentalism. Uh, this is scribes and the Pharisees were terrible at this. Proverbs twenty one two. A person may think they may think that their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Romans two one says, "If you therefore have you have there you have therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do." The same thing. The, the fourth and the final one, um, it doesn't really apply to me, and I, probably not to you either, um, but I'll just, it's there, so I just, we'll just zoom by it. Complainer. Uh, four types of critical spirits. Um, a, a complainer. Habitually negative. Habitually negative about other people or other circumstances in life. They're pretty much characterized by discontentment. I really appreciated last night at our outdoor service around the campfire. And, and um, Mike, I asked Mike Shavo to kind of facilitate that time. And he shared his testimony. And he talked a lot about contentment. And then he just kind of opened it up. And we, different people had opportunity to share praises and, and those kinds of things. But I just appreciate, you know, the, the, the charge that he gave last night to, to pursue contentment. We talk about wanting to be perfect in Christ, and, and so much of that is just learning to be content in the situation that we're in. But I don't know about you, but negative, 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 neg negativity and negative people, it, it's like taking, um, have you ever seen one of those big turkey basting noodle syringes, noodle syringes, you know what I'm talking about? They got like a, a, a needle this long, and, a, and they can suck out. All, to me, that's just like when negativity is like taking 
taking something like that and slamming it into my chest and just drawing out all of my energy. It's just like, and just, it just pulls out any, any, any like life or joy that's there. And, and, and it builds up over time and over time. And I don't know if that's the same way for you, but boy, complaining. Um, the Bible does talk about it a little bit in some other places. Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones dries the bones ouch um, and then this other one I think when I think of loopholes from the opening example I think this is one that oftentimes I I hear about is, is some of the loopholes Philippians 2:14. do all things without grumbling or disputing grumble or complaining do everything that there could possibly be without grumbling or complaining you like really like all things I just think you know what what might uh, the ministry of the gospel of Jesus look like if every time someone came in to a church not just here but just anywhere and there was not any aroma of grumbling or disputing or complaining and the thing about it is a lot of times people think that if they do it quietly or only to one or two people it doesn't get out to other people and it just it just no it stinks it's like it's like that putrid aroma that is out that is out there and and um Scripture is clear. Do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining. That's that's when I think. Well, really, all things like everything. I wonder if I would even talk ever if if I actually didn't find the loopholes in this one. Um, there's all kinds of motivations behind having a critical spirit. Um, we'll just say ultimately it's it's a sinful it's a sinful life. I mean that's really the the bottom line. And, and next week Jesus really dives in. He talks about the 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 heart and how things that come come out of us are representative of what's inside of us. The, the Pharisees, the scribes, and even religion as a whole focuses too much on the externals and not on the internal. And Jesus is going to address that with us specifically next week. But the effects of a critical spirit are just so, so destructive. And we, as a church, and as, as followers of Jesus, we are called instead to, to love God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our strengths, all of our soul, everything in us we're called to, to love. And being excessively critical or even a little bit critical really closes off our heart, closes off our heart to follow that command. Harboring this critical spirit is is destructive to other people destructive to us and to our to our mission as as people of god so um how do you overcome that there's a lot of different ways i like dr bob's uh description last week as he talked about how do you deal with a hard heart well you repent of it you ask you ask seek god's forgiveness you turn you turn from that one practical way to do that overcoming a critical spirit is is just learning learning to to dispense grace rather than dispense grief give out grace rather than giving out grease uh, grease grief giving out grief um my wife is great uh, at putting scripture on our walls of our home and and um, on blackboards and things like that and one verse that she has drilled into us and that we've drilled into our kids i should say is ephesians 4 29 it says let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth but only such a word that is good for the edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. There's a lot packed in. That's one of the key verses that we use when we do premarital counseling, how important it is um, not only just to, to be careful about the words that you share, but also that there's an appropriate time. Even if the word is a good word, there might not be a, it might not be the right time to give out that, that word. Let it bring grace to those who hear. 
Um, so our, our words are oftentimes uplifting and instructive and even corrective. But we got to remember later on, two verses later in Ephesians 4, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So bottom line for us as Christians, there's no room. There's no room in our, in our energy bucket for, for critical spirits, whether it's gossiping, slandering, whether it is um, um, the other two that I mentioned, <laughs> um, judgmental and, uh, and complaining. There's just no room for it. So thirdly, finally here, um, it says, beware of, beware of religious people because they value tradition over transformation. Here's what's going on. The, the rubber meets the road with this passage, what's going on with the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, as they look at Jesus, they're looking at Jesus with a critical spirit. They've called in the big guns from Jerusalem, and they're doing all of this to get to their ultimate goal, which is to get rid of and ultimately murder Christ. And so they come to Jesus tattling on the disciples for not washing their hands before dinner. And, and they say, and, and they say, they come to him as they tattle, and, and, then, and then Jesus does something pretty awesome. Um, and I don't know if you've had this situation before in your life, but you know when someone, you anticipate someone's going to bring some kind of gripe, complaint, argument towards you, but you've already readied yourself, and you're just like waiting, like they're putting it on a tee, and you're ready just to go right at them with, with a good response? That's pretty much what's happening here. Jesus knew that this was going to be coming because he's been dealing with these guys. And he says, oh, you want to play this whole law game? You want to play this law game? Well, let's play this law game. Let's examine how well you, he turns the table, how well do you observe the law that you are saying the, the disciples aren't observing? And he talks about this. He says, how are you doing with honoring your father and your mother? Nope, you're not doing very good at all because you have come up with a tradition. You've come up with your own system that gets you out of having to honor your father and your mother. Now, Kind of like I said earlier, with the, this is the Corbin Law. This is the law that basically says this. Um, we're to honor our fathers and our mothers. But let's say you have some, some funds set aside to care for your, your mother and father, but instead of, instead of uh, giving that money to them or helping them out, you call Corbin. You say that this is a gift dedicated to God. You say that there's some needs at the temple. There's some needs for the, the scribes and the Pharisees. So you call it Corbin and you put it in the Corbin savings or checking account. And, and that might, might be okay um, if they didn't find a loophole in order to abuse that money. Because what they ended up doing is that money would go into the Corbin account. And then they would say to um, themselves, huh, God must want me to have the nicest golden-lined chariot. Um, he must want me to have not the goodwill togas or the goodwill clothes of the day. He would want me to have the best stuff. And so they would start dipping into this Corbin money, money that was given, instead of given to, to help and, and serve and love and honor parents, it was given to the Corbin bucket, and then they would take that money and they would spend it on, on stuff that wasn't needed. And they would justify it by saying, God would love it if we would do these things if we would adorn this money upon ourselves. And so that's what Jesus is calling them out here. He's, he's, going, he's going right after them, right after their, their traditions and their, their law. And so he takes their silly hypocrisy and he just turns it right back on them. And, and really he's doing two things by doing this. 
Um, one, he says, that's not even God's law. You're, you're busting the chops of the disciples, and that's not even, that's not even God's law. And it's, it's simply a tradition that you've made up. Now, if it was God's law, do you think that he would, he would allow that to just come back and, and nullify the commandment which says, honor your father and mother? There's no way. Uh, but the other thing is they're really just trying to find a legal reason to get out of loving their, their, uh, their parents, caring for their parents. And, and so this is a, a big problem that Jesus dealt with with the religious system of the day. And he called them out. He said, they value tradition over love over transformation and he says quoting quoting isaiah again he says this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain they do not worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men you leave the commandments of god and you hold to the tradition of men now this this passage really is a forerunner which which walks us into next week and he delves into more the depths of of the heart and how it reply it applies to us today but just as we close i just want to ask you the continuance of last week as well as as well as this week is how is the condition of your heart how is the condition of your heart is your heart hard is your heart tender towards the things of god and specifically when it comes to applying what we've talked about today because that's really what matters Really what matters is what we do when we leave these doors and how we, we let God's word, God's spirit influence the way that we relate with one another and relate with him. Um, I want to ask you, which of those four critical spirits do you struggle with most? Um, which one of those? And, and, and not only do I want you just to think about it yourself, I really would like to challenge you to tell someone, talk to someone in your life, someone that is a safe place, someone that you can trust, and just talk about the condition of your own heart and specifically out of those things, whether it's a complainer, whether it is um, a gossiper, a slanderer, someone that's judgmental. What of those four do you kind of tend towards if, if you did, if you were to go that way, which one would, would be the way that you would go? And, and get some accountability. And then another question is, are there any other loopholes? Are there any other loopholes? I, I had Grace read Ephesians 5 on purpose. Uh, when when uh, that passage comes up, husbands love your wives as Christ loves your church. Wives submit to your husbands. So oftentimes, I think that's a passage where we look for the loopholes. I hear it often. I remember doing a wedding one time and I was told by the wife, you may not use the word, this is what she told me, you may not use the word submit in our, in our ceremony. And I'm just thinking, oh man. You're going to tell me what I can and can't say. <laughs> well, I might have found a way to fit that in there. Okay. But, but um, it is one of those situations where, you know, we can say, well, what does submit mean in the Greek? It must mean something a little bit different. But the reality is the Greek makes it much more difficult on the women than you might think. So you don't want to go to the Greek with that per se. Um, but when it, when it also goes to the side, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, adorning her. That's cherishing her, lifting her up, covering her. Um, and, and husbands can say, well, you know, let's, let's go back to the submit one. Let's talk about that one, you know, thing and those kind of things. But what is it in your life? Maybe it's not Ephesians 5. Maybe it's something else. What are the loopholes? 